This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. GMOs are genetically modified organisms. So this term is really popular in agriculture, and what it means is that it's the process of artificially taking a protein from one species and inserting it into another species. And this typically wouldn't happen in nature. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to learn about the top hacks for kidney health. Also, we'll discuss non-GMO month, and then we'll talk about the health implications of recreational cannabis. Lastly, we'll find out how yoga can help you with tight muscles. But first, a little bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's Unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try Activated Charcoal and Mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely Natural. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is an entertaining and accessible writer, and today we're going to discuss his latest article in the October issue of Tonic Magazine, all about kidney health. Welcome back to the show, sir. I'm very happy to be here as always. Yes, we're happy to have you back in person. I know you've been suffering from some ailments and it's good to see you back. Thank you. So kidney health, kidneys are really important, aren't they? They are. They're a bit unique in our bodies in the fact that, yes, you can live and survive and thrive with one, but nature thought it intelligent to give us two because they are so important. And not only do we have two of them, where their place in our body is actually significant. They're vertically near the middle of your back to each side of your spine so they can be protected by your ribs. So the body knows that these are important organs with important tasks. And and what do the kidneys do? Well, the kidneys are essentially massive filters. That's their primary job. Although our bodies have lots of filters to help get the junk we take in and our bodies create every day out of us, the kidneys are primary at that. They filter very important thing, our blood. Right. <laughs> and in addition to the kidneys filtering your blood, there's other connections to other functions in the body too, right? Oh, they do many, many other things, but most people know of them as right. filtering your blood. And, and how they do it is actually quite interesting and in how much they do of filtering is. Most people don't know. They filter a half a cup of blood every minute. Oh my Essentially, they do every day, they will filter around 200 liters of blood. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible how much they do and how frequently they do it. Mm -hmm. And there's a connection between your kidneys and electrolytes. Is that right? Correct. Your kidneys actually control the amount of liquid water in your body. They do that by regulating the amount of water in your blood. 
excess water comes out and becomes urine. And it's all done through the mechanism of eliminating waste as well. But what happens when there too is if you're drinking enough water, mm -hmm. your body through your kidneys will make sure that that amount stays into in your blood. Okay. If you're not drinking enough water, it conserves it by reducing the amount that goes in your urine and you end up with that bright, dark urine that reeks, just completely and utterly smells nasty. Right. That, that happens like after I work out, I find because, you know, like I've dehydrated myself. So, you know, I presume you can correct me, but there's, <laughs> there's less water going through my system in that short period of time. And that's what's happening. Correct. Definitely. That's right. And if you drink too much water, right. what ends up happening to control the amount of water in your blood your kidneys will actually take it out and you'll end up with really, really weak urine, which may not actually be even yellow. It can go as weak as being almost clear. And what happens is part of what is removed with that water are electrolytes. Mm -hmm. And most people actually don't know what electrolytes are. Yeah, what are, are electrolytes? So electrolytes, to understand them properly, you have to actually look at the name. It has the word electric in there. And the right. reason that's in there is they're the minerals and salts that are in your body that your body uses to conduct electricity through your nerves, your muscles, etc. Because every, yeah, everything that happens in your body is controlled through electrical impulses. If you have the right amount, actually, then they're conducted properly. If you don't have enough or you have too much, there can be missteps in how they're conducting. So your kidneys, through the removal of water or the, the holding of water, controls how much of those electrolytes you have. And the key electrolytes are important to know. The key ones are sodium, potassium, phosphorus, and calcium. Okay. And that's what you see like in energy drinks, right? You know, they may not be good for you in other ways, but, but, <laughs> but they do provide those minerals, which, you know, can escape the body, for example, through sweat and through urine when you're exercising. And that's why people take those energy drinks, right? Definitely. But you also have to be careful because, as I said earlier, enough of them or the right amount is good. Right. Too much or too little, mm -hmm. both of those have serious problems in either direction. And the kidneys also pertain to blood pressure too, don't they? Correct. Your blood pressure is controlled in part by the amount of water in the blood. Right. But the kidneys, the kidneys control blood pressure in more ways than just that. They actually do it also through hormones. So to start with, if you have a lot of volume of blood through the water retention or releasing, if you have a lot of volume of blood, you have increased blood pressure. If you have too little blood, you actually have less blood pressure. It just makes sense. Right. More volume through a hose, more pressure, less volume, less pressure. But it also happens that the blood pressure is controlled through the kidneys through two different hormones. The first one your kidneys release is called renin. And renin can cause your kidneys to retain more sodium and water, but also causes your blood vessels to contract. So that's multiple ways it actually increases your blood pressure. The second hormone that your kidneys are involved with is called, and this one you're going to have to bear with me for the pronunciation, it's erythropoine. Otherwise yeah, known see, as EPO. You could have said that wrong a hundred different ways and I would not be able to correct you. So to my ear, that sounds absolutely correct. Go on. Sorry. I digress. I'll take that. It's referred to commonly as EPO. Mm -hmm. What EPO does is it signals the marrow inside your bones to make red blood cells, which they use to carry oxygen through your body. Now, EPO, when it's doing all this, also helps your body decrease blood pressure. Okay. Now, people out there with a keen ear might remember EPO and think, I've heard of EPO before. 
EPO came into the news a little while ago, a synthetic version. It was used by Lance Armstrong, the cyclist. Aha. He was juicing with it. The reason he was is he was taking synthetic EPO, which caused his bone marrow to create more red blood cells, which gave him more oxygen, more energy, and more endurance. Oh, my goodness. That's uh, scary but brilliant. It's an interesting way to juice without using steroids. Yep. Okay, so the kidneys are susceptible to several types of illness. What, what are the ones that we might know of? Well, the, the main ones most people will know of are kidney stones. Right. Kidney stones, unfortunately, are a common occurrence. And what they are is your kidneys, as it's filtering out the blood, yep. it ends up taking some calcium and oxalic acid from the liquid, and those two form together to call calcium oxalate. Which are the little stones. Those are the stones themselves. In most people, the problem never manifests right. because, yes, you have a little bit of calcium, you have a little bit of oxalic acid, they get together, they form stones, and your kidneys naturally remove them before they cause anything. And you remove them basically passing them through your urine. Right. But if they get too big... Or if they get lodged. Right. If they get too big or they get lodged, what ends up happening is they cause an obstruction. Which is quite painful. Not only painful, it can actually be very damaging. What ends up happening is your urine gets backflows and can actually start damaging the cells inside your kidneys permanently. That's a serious problem. And when it gets to that point, normally surgery is involved to protect your kidneys. Right. So that's one. The other one is called chronic kidney disease, also known as CKD. Right. CKD often goes undiagnosed until it's quite advanced, unfortunately. The tests for CKD, ironically, are very simple and can be done rather frequently at low cost, but most people don't do them. Essentially, the tests are blood pressure, urinary protein, and blood creatinine. Is this done when you go for a checkup, or is this something you would have to request because you're feeling ill, or do you know? Well, I'll be honest. My doctor actually does it as part of my annual physical. He, okay. does, he does those. They're just, when I'm given my blood, those are two more tick marks or three more tick right. marks that he puts on the thing, just a little more blood, and we go. He did that without my ever asking. That's part of his thing, but I don't know if most doctors do that. Very well. CKD is serious because your kidneys regulate so much that any damage done to them causes so many problems. Having them damaged can cause other serious conditions such as cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, weak bones, nerve damage, and chronic anemia. It's ridiculous. The big thing is there are three main risk factors for CKD, yep. diabetes, high blood pressure, and cardiovascular disease. Right. And of course, these three risk factors combine to cover virtually 100% of us. Right. And it's also, uh, if you have those three issues, you probably have a host of other problems uh, going on as well, right? Agreed. So me being the layman here, I would recommend anyone, when you're getting your annual physical, just talk to your doctor and say, hey, can you tick off those other marks on the blood test just for the heck just of it? Just to be sure, for sure. All right. So uh, let's take the second half of this interview to sort of go through what we can do to protect our kidneys and keep them healthy because there are lifestyle hacks, as you called them, <laughs> in the article for the October issue, which are fairly straightforward. And if people do them, they can help with their kidney health. Definitely. Like every other interview you and I have had and every yeah. article I've written, essentially taking care of yourself has multiple benefits across the spectrum. Of course. Now with kidneys in particular, there's basically 10 hacks. One, keep your blood pressure and blood sugar in check. 
Every time it goes up or down dramatically, you're harming your kidneys. And over the long term, it adds up. Salt. Keep your sodium levels in check. And that doesn't mean eliminate all sodium. Yeah, I was going to ask, you, you know, is this a question of intake or is this just monitoring the situation? It's a bit of both because in our society, we're not exactly the smartest when it comes to sodium. Right. It tends to be that we either take way too much or we're so diligent and we do not nearly enough. Realistically, you want to have in your diet a little under one teaspoon a day right. from all sources combined. And you have to remember... Even things like fresh fruit and vegetables still have some sodium in them. Avoid non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, also known as NASADs. These painkillers, ibuprofen, naproxen, and aspirin, are all hard on your kidneys. Mm -hmm. Instead, what you want to do is try healthy alternatives like turmeric, I know your favorite, yoga, yep. physiotherapy, acupressure, acupuncture, and chiropractic therapy. Right. They all can help. Right. Don't go nuts on protein. Right now, protein is a huge fad. And for a lot of people, it's great. Right. The problem is, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. I understand. Now, with protein, if your kidneys are 100% healthy, there's no issues, go nuts. If you're part of the 99% that aren't in that category, be realistic. How does the protein impact on your kidneys? As your body is breaking down the proteins, it produces waste material that's hard on kidneys. Gotcha. So in moderation, not a problem. But if you go too hard and take too much, it's just difficult for them to handle. Got it. Drink plenty of pure, clean water. Avoid other things because they have impurities in the liquids themselves, hard on the kidneys. If you can't handle plain water or you want a little extra energy boost, add a little bit of chlorophyll. Yep. Kidney stones are primarily calcium oxalate. Calcium oxalate forms when poor quality calcium comes out of solution and bonds with oxalic acid. Easy way to do it, use high quality organic calcium. Aloe vera and cranberry also help eliminate poor quality calcium and oxalate from your body. Eating healthy, well-rounded diet, as always is helpful, helps your kidneys. Avoid all sources of smoke, both Primary, by smoking. Yes. And secondary, secondhand smoke. And yes, that also includes cannabis. Mm. I know someone's and already Edibles that. aren't going to be here for another year, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, if you drink alcohol, do it in moderation. Yep. Don't go on benders and don't do it on a regular basis. A little bit here, a little bit there. Your kidneys will be fine. Take too much. And it's just bad story. Well, thank you for coming in today because I know you're a little under the weather still. And we appreciate, you, we appreciate the effort. We've got to finish up right now. But you're going to come back next month and we're going to talk about hemorrhoids. Yes. I'm excited about that. I'm, gonna, I'm at the seat of my pants. Uh, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've got to take a short break. But when we return, we're going to learn all about non-GMO month on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. 
The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Did you know that October is non-GMO month? The Big Carrot has been advocating against GMOs in our food system since 1999, and they are the founding members of the Non-GMO Project. This food label provides verified non-GMO choices and protects our right to know what's in the food we feed our families. Be sure to look for the butterfly when you shop. The Big Carrot, living better together. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being, with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. Megan's also a knowledgeable and entertaining writer. In the October issue of Tonic, she wrote all about non-GMOs because October is non-GMO month. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. How's it going? It's going well. You got your gloves on. We're going to we're going to take Are opposite gonna views. We're going to duke it out. We're going to duke it out. Well, Uh-oh. you know, I'm sort of with you on a lot of this, but for the purposes of the show, we're going to have I'm going to play the contra Okay. Okay. Which I'm known to do. (laughs) I I can be a difficult man. I expected it. Don't worry. Okay. So non-GMO month. Yes. A lot of people have heard the phrase GMO or non-GMO. Yes. But they may not know what it is. So let's start at the very beginning. What is a GMO? So GMOs are genetically modified organisms. And basically what this means is, so this term is really popular um, in agriculture. And what it means is that it's the process of artificially taking a protein from one species and inserting it into another species. And this typically wouldn't happen in nature. So you can have plants, animals, bacteria, viruses inserted into each other. Right. And obviously this is causing a lot of issues. Okay, I'm now I'm going to take one of the contra stands. So we, yeah. we we've been manipulating <laughs> our food yes. for eons, right? I mean grafting, grafting, yes. And 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 you know, trying to get hybrid fruits and vegetables on yes. a macro level. It's been going on for for eons, right? Yes, yes. Is this really any different? It is different. So grafting involves taking the tissues from one plant um, and attaching them to the tissues of another plant. So this is on a molecular level, right? So this is where we are taking proteins. These are these are really tiny. It's not like taking uh, you know one one stalk of one plant and attaching it to the stalk of another. It's very different. So this is happening in the lab, and we're seeing a lot of issues come out of it. Um, well, what are the issues? Because yeah. honestly, honestly, like from your description, from your explanation, all it sounds like is it's, it's just being done on a different scale, right? Like what well, all you're saying is it's the same thing. We're just doing it at a molecular level, which in and of itself is neutral. It may be good. It may be bad. Explain to us why it's bad. Okay. So I'll get into the reasons why it is happening. Um, The reason being is that there is a belief that when you create genetically modified seeds, we are increasing the yield of crops. Well, that's the theory behind it, right? That's the theory behind it. Um, And so basically these seeds can grow in any kind of terrain, which ultimately sounds like a, a good thing if we're thinking about food security for the world. Correct. But if we're not able to properly digest the crops that are coming from these seeds, 
because of the seeds themselves and the the proteins that have been inserted that we can't properly digest. And if we can't properly create the digestive enzymes that are needed to break down these foods because of the pesticides that are being used on these GM seeds, then what's the point of eating anyway? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, it's easy for us to say here in North America, where right. there's generally more food security, right. to say, look, we don't want to be eating these foods that are bad for our health. However, I would imagine... I'm going to put myself in the shoes of somebody who's in a third world country or who needs uh, sturdier plants in order to grow food. I think they're going to be happy to eat any food as opposed to no food, right? I understand what you're saying. But the issue is that, you know, one of the main pesticides that we're using on these genetically modified crops is Roundup. Right. The active ingredient in Roundup is glyphosate. So I'm not sure if you've heard about this, uh, but it's, it has been in the news a lot lately. Yep. There's a huge Monsanto lawsuit uh, that went down. And unfortunately, one man has been found to have um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so this is a blood cancer. Right. And he won the lawsuit that basically the fight was that um, it was caused by glyphosate because he was working as a school groundskeeper and, he, and part of his job was to spray this. And so think about the children who have been inhaling glyphosate. Think about this okay. man and, and all of the farmers who are using this pesticide on their crops with the hopes of higher yields, but the health concerns far outweigh the potential or supposed yields that we're actually getting from these seeds. Okay, so now I'm going to, again, I'm going to put the devil's advocate hat back on. I think you have to draw a distinction between people who are handling Roundup. In other words, the person who sued was somebody who was spraying it versus the amount of Roundup that's in the food Okay. That is being consumed, right? I mean, because it's a, it's contextual, right? It's a question of degree, number one. And, you know, again, you're going back to, well, aren't we better off not having it? So what happens if we don't have it? If we don't have the genetically modified uh, foodstuffs, is there really enough food to feed everybody? And then food costs go up. And if food costs go up, are, you know, given the way we live our lives, can people really afford an increased cost of food, which is a necessity, uh, based on current incomes. We get inflation, and then, you know, we're off to the races with a different type of lifestyle. So I understand what you're saying. I'm not arguing the point that Roundup is bad to consume. I think we can all agree to that. The question is degrees, and what happens if we don't use it? That's sort of my pitch. So... If we don't use it, then the alternative and the better alternative that we have is organic farming practices, which wouldn't use chemically ridden pesticides, right? So they're not synthetically driven pesticides. Oh, I understand. I mean, I do understand there's other right. farming methods, and there were farming methods that were going on for generations before. Which were, which were right. actually organic in nature. I, I totally understand that. <laughs> e- so e- if except, things were except, working for so many years, sorry to cut you off, but if things were working for so many years, yeah. why do we want to change the system that was working for us for generations? My understanding is everything I've read mm-hmm. suggests that obviously the food is better for you if there's less chemicals in it. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And, and you can and, actually and, and, digest it better and you're getting the, I, I understand the nutrients that. from the food. But that's only part of the equation. If the other part of the equation is we are not able to feed everybody with the organic farming practices, well, then that creates a whole other subset of problems. It's, it, it's it just funny does. you say that because 
the more we use these genetically modified seeds, the more we're actually ruining the soil that the seeds are growing in. You need healthy soil in order to grow seeds. The other part is that weeds can mutate. And so they are smarter. They're getting smarter and smarter. So we have these ridiculous weeds, monster weeds that are growing in response to glyphosate, in response to the genetically modified seeds that we're using, right? I mean, ultimately, it comes down to what's the point of food? Food is supposed to nourish us, right? Right. It's not just to to fill a, a hunger pain that we feel. It's supposed to nourish us. If we expect to have generations for years to come, then we have to make sure that we're taking care of our soil now, that we're creating the proper systems now for future generations and not ruining that. If you didn't want to eat GMOs, if you've convinced everybody... What What is one to do? What can you do? So you have two options. If you want to avoid GMOs, you can look for the non-GMO project verified symbol. So this mm-hmm. is a, a voluntary symbol that producers can put or a label. It's that, like a logo that goes exactly, on Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's it's a, a butterfly on grass. And you can choose products that have that label to avoid GMOs, or you can choose organic certified products that don't include GMOs just as one of their standards. Okay. And what resources do you recommend for somebody who's looking for more information about this? If they don't want to take your word and they don't want to take my word (laughs) and they want to do a little bit of independent research, what would you recommend? Yes. So you can go to the non-gmoproject.org website Mm -hmm. where you'll find tons of information about GMOs. So they have GMO facts, research that has been conducted on GMOs um, and the effects of GMOs. Um, And then there's also CBAN, which is the Canadian Biotechnology Action Network. Um, And they also look at research on GMOs. GMOs and nanotechnology, which is almost one step further of genetic What's What's nanotechnology? Uh, so this is a process of either creating products or like genetic um, engineering, switching atoms. Um, so it's at an even smaller particle level. Okay. And they're doing that already now too? Oh, yeah. You've got some research to do, Jamie. I do. Yeah. Well, we didn't, we weren't. I didn't know we were talking about nanotechnology today. I would have done more research. I'm just piquing your interest, you know, just showing you what I know. <laughs> okay. Is there more information on your website about this too? At this time, there is limited information on my website, but I would definitely recommend going to the sources that I that I provided. And if they wanna, if they wanna debate you, if there's listeners who want to reach out and have some words with you, send me an email. What's, yep. w- which is the best way to get through to you? Yep, you can send me an email at meganhorsleynutrition at gmail or find me on Instagram megan underscore rhn. You can send me a message on there. Send me a message through my website meganhorsleynutrition and we can chat. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming in this morning. We'll have you back next month. Thanks so much, Jamie. Looking forward to it. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. And now the soul segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money and career are sure to be answered. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's soul segment. The way this works is that I've pulled three cards to get a glimpse as to what to expect for the week. The first card is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. The second card is what you need to focus on right now. And the third card is the energy that's going to carry you into the future. This week, we'll be looking at your relationships. The first card that we'll be looking at is the Knight of Cups. 
That means that lately in relationships, you've been feeling more forthcoming in what you'd like to experience personally in this relationship. You have not been afraid to speak your mind and go after what you want. This week, you have the Wheel of Fortune. That means that you'll have a window of an opportunity to create something special within a relationship. However, it's important that you take this opportunity because this window will close shortly. Once you take advantage of this opportunity, you have the Magician card. That means that within relationships, you will rise up from the ashes and once again feel fulfilled and complete with those that you surround yourself with. So remember... Continue this great path by taking every opportunity that's presented to you and watch how you transform within your relationships. Good luck and looking forward to connecting again with you next week. This has been the Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24 hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12- to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Rick Gilman, is a medical cannabis patient, consultant, and veteran freelance writer. He's involved in medical cannabis research and breeding projects, creating more efficient medicine. He works for the Canadian Cannabis Clinics as medical outreach educator out of the Collingwood, Ontario Clinic. Rick also wrote a great primer in the October issue of Tonic. I thought it would be helpful to have him in on the show in light of the recent legislation legalizing recreational cannabis. Welcome back to the show, sir. Glad to be here, Jamie. How are you? Good. So we're going to be one of eight gazillion people talking about cannabis, I think, this week. What do you think? Yeah, it's a hot topic, and legalization's finally here, and, uh, you know, the doors are open, the floodgates are open, so to speak, and uh, a lot of people will try it for the first time, and a lot of people will finally breathe a sigh of relief being able to use it legally. Yeah, I I think that's true. And there's going to be a lot of people who maybe did it when they were younger or coming back to it, and, you know, I, I think it's helpful for everybody to understand it now that it's legal to really get an understanding of what they're getting into if they want to start up again or continue using. So what is cannabis? What are the components? Well, cannabis is a naturally occurring plant that uh, grows wild in in many parts of the world. And of course, we've cultivated it and we've uh, 
harnessed its medicinal power. We've learned to uh, to use it uh, medically, and and people are using it recreationally for relaxation purposes as well. So cannabis has two main components. There's over a hundred different cannabinoids in the plant, but we focus on two main ones that occur in, in usable portions. And one is CBD, which is a very powerful healing component that uh, is non-psychoactive. It can get you high, but it's great for things like inflammation, joint pain, and, and uh, a whole host of other uh, conditions. THC, we know uh, as the stuff that people use recreationally to get high, it does have a psychoactive effect. And, uh, you know, it can also be used medicinally, but uh, more people like to use it recreationally. Okay. And as you said, there are other components to cannabis, but they haven't really been researched yet. So we're going to learn more about it, I think, as, as the industry grows. Yeah, well, we do. We, there is research, uh, CBG, CBN, THEV, all these other very valuable um, cannabinoids uh, have a, a, a lot of medicinal potential. Unfortunately, they don't occur in the plant in a high enough concentration to use them currently. But um, breeders are specifically working with different crosses to bring them up in higher percentages. So maybe in five or ten years, we'll have a whole host of other cannabinoids we can use as medicine. Okay. I guess there's two strains of cannabis, right? Or uh... Yeah. The, the family has two, well, actually three, but we're not going to get really into the third, which is called Ruderellus. It's kind of like a hidden little cousin. Okay. I didn't um, even know that. No. Yeah. It's what they use to breed what's called autoflowers, uh, plants that you can grow quicker or, or in uh, climates with a uh, shorter growing season. But the main ones we, we deal with are sativa and indica. So a sativa, um, this is very valuable for people, especially people with uh, conditions, pre-existing conditions like anxiety. Sativa can be uplifting, energizing. It's very much cerebral. It can, uh, because it's stimulating, it, it gives a feeling of energy and creative thought. It can actually um, cause people's anxiety to kind of compound that feeling. Right, so the, so par- the paranoia that sometimes people feel if they've exactly. had a little bit too much. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, people, people with those conditions are better off with indica, which is a, a relaxing, sedating, body, more body-focused experience of, you know, um, I guess the word is intoxication. Right. So it's the mellower of the two. Right. So they both have different purposes. Sativas are generally better for daytime when a person wants energy, if they're trying to maybe be creative. And uh, when you're winding down at night, you're having trouble sleeping, that's when you'd go reach for an indica. Okay. So there's different ways that you can consume cannabis. What are they? I mean, the obvious one is smoking, Yeah, smoking. And of course, being in the medical field, we always try to deter people from smoking. Vaporizing with a good quality vaporizer is a much better choice. When you vaporize, you're breathing in, uh, you're not, there's no combustion in a good vaporizer. So in other words, there's no burning. So it heats the, the cannabis up to a temperature where the medicine is released from the leaf. And then it bonds with a, like a, a water air molecule. So what you're breathing in and out is, is not much different than what you see on a cold day when you go outside and see your breath. So it's definitely much safer. So vaporizing is an option. Um, edibles are very popular. Right. Edibles have, I always want to attach a warning label whenever I mention edibles. Right. Edibles are very careful, need very careful um, consideration. 
and that's why they're actually not legalizing them for an additional year. It's going to be October 2019 when uh, edibles will be phased in. And, and then there's oils too. Um, in, the, in the medical industry, probably the most common form of consumption is uh, oils. Right. So for, for edibles, I think what you were alluding to is the fact that it doesn't quite kick in in the same way that, that if you were smoking or vaping it. You know, right. it, there, there's, a, there's a time lag. And for yeah. people who are new to edibles, they think, oh, it isn't working. I think I'll have some more. And then you find yourself in a situation where perhaps yeah, you've had a bit too much. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's what it's about. You know, I, I call it stacking. So what someone will do is a novice will, will eat an edible and half an hour later say, nothing's happening. I should maybe take a little more. Oh, right. And then 15 minutes later, the first bit starts to kick in, which was already too much. And then the second one takes them to a, a very bad place. Now, the good news is... Uh, cannabis is a non-lethal substance. It is absolutely impossible to, to fatally overdose on it. However, having said that, when you get too high from something like an edible, you could feel like you want to die for a couple of hours. Oh, yeah, no, no. It's, it's unpleasant. You know, you, you, you could, you know, you, you might get dizzy. You might and feel a little yeah. ill, you know, like you might throw up, you know. but It's completely avoidable. And that's the, the thing is, you know, we always advocate using something like this uh, substance, which is a safe substance, cannabis, low and slow. Based on the U.S. model, most uh, legal states have a, a, like a per portion um, a limit of um, 10 milligrams of uh, THC per portion. Right. So, unfortunately, because things aren't legal now, people will and are legally able to once, uh, you know, now uh, we can make our own edibles. But there's no way, it's very difficult to... To know how much is you know the process uh, isn't the process isn't easy. I looked into it. I was going to host an event uh, surrounding edibles leading up to legalization, and you know, understanding you know, you have to be kind of a chemist to get it right. It's not easy. Uh, yeah, and there are formulas. I mean, I as a patient, I've felt, you know, I, I've educated myself to the point where I'm pretty much an expert in making them. I, I can actually portion them and actually know how much each portion is. But it is work, and you have to work with formulas. You have to know exactly how strong your cannabis is and with legalization we can do that now because you can walk into the uh, Ontario cannabis store well you can literally yeah. <laughs> not to like they you can order yeah. something yeah. and you'll know that's got 15% THC so you can uh, pull up an online calculator and figure out uh, exactly if you're so inclined what your uh, portions are. Do you know if anybody has ever been allergic to cannabis? Absolutely. Like almost anything on this planet, there are people that are going to have allergies. It's very, um, it's not a, a frequently occurring uh, situation, um, but you know, people that do have other plant allergies uh, occasionally are. Okay. And is it possible to become addicted to cannabis? Okay. So there's two answers to that. Yes and no. So cannabis is not physically addictive. So you will never, if you abruptly stop, go through physical withdrawal shakes and that type of thing. Cannabis can be psychologically addict, uh, addictive, but uh, no more so than chocolate cake, for example. So, you know, you can become addicted to video games or all kinds of other things, but physically, no, it's not addictive. What about side effects? Are you aware of any side effects from, from well, consuming Ironically, the, the side effects we most often get reported is not really a side effect, but as you've probably heard of the munchies, yeah. uh, for a lot of people is a side effect. But, um, you know, some people too get lightheaded. They, they find the, the THC experience unpleasant. 
but, you know, dry eyes, dry mouth, that type of thing. But generally, it's a very safe plant, so not a lot of side effects. So, Rick, talking about the munchies, I think for those who missed out on investing in the uh, cannabis stocks, they might want to invest in the snack food stocks. So, you know, those who have the munchies are going to be home eating massive quantities. I see a big spike in the snack foods. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I know there's, um, uh, I I saw, and I I don't remember the details, there was a a chocolate bar that came out um, that was related to the the whole 420 kind of code word. Exactly. And and you know what? I I think as they're looking for locations for next April for the actual brick and mortar OCS or private private stores, I think you'll see a lot of um, kind of, convenience stores opening up right beside the, the cannabis shops. Oh, you got to think 21st century, my friend. They're going to be delivery services bringing the food to your home. I think Uber and the rest. In any oh, yeah. event, that's all the time we have for today. I hope you'll come back next month and discuss more about cannabis. Will you? I, I'd be happy to. Thanks again, Jamie. And uh, for all you people out there, remember, low and slow, use, use your cannabis safely. Uh, make it a good experience. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn how yoga can help you with tight muscles and joints on The Tonic. And now, time for Pure Beauty. Learn all about holistic skincare and health featuring chemical-free ingredients. Here's naturopathic doctor and co-founder of Pure and Simple Beauty and Wellness Centers, Dr. Kristen Ma. In Ayurvedic medicine, autumn is seen as vata time, as the transition between hot summer and cold winter seasons is said to create a lot of air and space energy. This is known as vata. This element of air makes us more mentally scattered and ungrounded and physically more light and dry. For our skin, this means dehydration, flakiness, and tightness. This makes autumn a good time to switch to more emollient skincare regimes. And one way to do this is to use a face oil. Face oils can help lock in moisture, and massaging as you apply them helps encourage blood flow. Oils not only help dry skin, but they're also recommended to nourish and ground vata. Traditionally, raw sesame oil is also recommended for this energy. But what's unique about Ayurvedic beauty is that it doesn't stop at the topical. It's recommended to also switch to a more moist diet. In particular, eating heavier, warming foods like starchy sweet potatoes and fatty vegetable oils are said to give your body hydration, lubrication, and nourishment. Skip cooling salads and opt for warm, hearty stews that will hydrate you inside and out. Along with this, mentally grounding measures are important. This is especially helpful because the fall is also a time to start new routines and adjusting to them can be stressful. To help this transition, avoid a lot of mental stimulation, especially at night. Vata governs our sensory activity, so being bombarded with loud noises and bright lights can accentuate flighty air energy. This aggravation can lead to poor sleep and insomnia, so for good beauty sleep, be sure to avoid screen time before bed. Finally, take a few minutes throughout your day for some breathwork or mindfulness. This can help you feel present and grounded, silencing the frenetic energy of the season. Practicing Ayurvedic beauty is truly holistic, using an approach that cares for your skin internally as well as externally. Do this this fall and prevent high vata on all fronts, treating the mind, body, and spirit. This has been Pure Beauty with Dr. Kristen Ma. Learn more and ask questions about holistic beauty and their wellness centers through their Facebook page at pureandsimple.ca. This segment should not take the place of medical advice. Always talk to your healthcare provider about personal health concerns. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. 
Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Lisa Greenbaum, is a certified yoga therapist and current teacher trainer for YogaFit. She's the recent recipient of the Canadian Presenter of the Year at the World Fitness Expo, and she's been teaching yoga and fitness in Toronto since 2001. For more information about her, you can visit lisagreenbaum.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So in, in addition uh, to all that, which we said that you did, you also contributed to Tonic Magazine in the October mm-hmm. issue, and you wrote a great article about how yoga can help with tight hips. So I brought you on the show today uh, so that you can s- expand upon those points. So let's start at the very beginning. Who, who tends to have tight hips and, and why? Great question. And I'm going to say everybody. Yep. And I say that looking at sort of two categories. One would be people that spend a lot of time focused on working out, I would say, or being athletic and, you know, really taking care of their physical bodies. And then the other side would be what we would consider more a sedentary lifestyle. People that spend much more time sitting, maybe their job involves sitting for long periods of time, or they commute you know, length, lengthy times back and forth to work. You mean sitting in the car, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of bridge both worlds because, you know, I, I spin and I teach spinning. So spinners have incredibly tight hips. Yeah. And my ass is in a chair for the other part of the day in front of the computer or doing this. So this is important to me. I'm listening carefully. Okay, good. Because actually, as you say that, you really are the the very person that um, will benefit from both sides. So what happens when you're very athletic, say um, the spinning that you do, teaching spinning, you're sitting on a bike. Sure, you're exercising, which is amazing for your whole body, but what's actually happening to your hip is it's constantly contracting every single time you pedal. And so, you know, you probably do stretch a little bit after, but usually it's kind of standing up on the bike and kind of moving around a little bit in the the, hip. It's the figure four, right? Where you bring your foot over your knee. Sorry, this is your bailiwick, but that's what I do. Okay. And and that's a great stretch, but that's actually also countering your outer hip as opposed to the front front of the hip. And and where I was talking about hips was really focusing more in the hip flexor. And that's the front of the very front of the hip. So if you were to bring your hands to your hips and kind of feel around for that hip bone, mm-hmm. it's that muscle that lies just kind of across and in, and in front towards your belly button. Okay. That's the hip flexor muscle. So that contracts every time you pedal, but then you come and sit down and guess what? It's contracted again. Right. And so when we're sitting, we might be 
a little bit more relaxed as opposed to constantly flexing the muscle. But then you build in daily stress, right? So you're sitting on your computer and all of a sudden, you know, deadlines are coming at you, emails are coming at you, your body's starting to tense up and your hips are also taking part of that action. And and it's not natural to sit all day. That's not what we were meant to do, right? I, I mean, the easy answer to that, and we're jumping ahead a bit, but, you know, the answer is get up and stand up and go do something or go for a little walk. I just got a dog, uh, not just got a dog, but we got, I got, we got a dog for that very reason, uh, to get me out from behind the computer because you can't sit the whole day. It's just not good for your hips. That's awesome. That's actually one of the best things you could do. So let's say that as one of our big pieces of advice, go and get a dog. (laughs) Exactly. But if you can't, or, um, if that doesn't work for you, what else can we do? Do get up, set an alarm on your phone that you're going to get up every 30 minutes, even if it's just to stand up, right. um, move your hips around a little bit and sit back down, that's better than just sitting the whole time. Do you believe in those standing desks? Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? Absolutely. I do very much. Yeah, I do. And you can either get the standing desks where they move up and down with yes. you, or you can even take it where you're sitting. Uh, I remember a few years ago, it was the resistible, sitting on resistibles. I was gonna, that was my next question. And those are great too, because they really work your core. Right. But the irony is that sitting on the resistible, because you're so focused on your core, when your core starts to get tired, what takes over? Your, your hips. Oh, really? I was going to say your, your back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's a bit of both. I tried sitting on the ball. I, I just, I, my posture is terrible. You're, you're looking at me now and you're shaking your head. <laughs> I'm slumped over. For those, for those of you at home, I do not sit up straight. So sitting on the ball was just not, it was a non-starter. But the rest of it, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So stretching, like if, you, if you're going to do some stretches, if you just wanted to, you know, if getting up isn't enough, what would you recommend? So when we're looking at stretches, think if you're, Your hip is a ball and socket joint. Right. And so it moves in all planes of motion. Therefore, we want to stretch it in all those planes. So um, we want to definitely stretch out the front of the hip. Mm -hmm. Um, We can do that by lunges. So um, it could be standing where you just take one leg back, bend both knees, tuck a little bit under with your tailbone, squeeze into your glutes, and then sink down. That's a great thing to do. Just stand up beside your desk and do. Are you talking about, does it matter whether you're doing forward or reverse lunges, or are they both effective? What do you mean by forward and reverse well, lunges? Well, so with a with a front lunge, you are stepping forward and dipping down, and then with a back lunge, you're taking a step back and, and dipping down. Essentially, they're both going to be the same. What I was meaning with the stretch is actually just to step into it and okay hold it. Right. Okay. Um, And then when you're coming in and out, what I mean by coming in and out would be like moving up and then sinking back down a little deeper into the knees. But you don't want bouncing because bouncing is where where you hurt yourself, right? Like that I know because we do stretches at the end of the spin class and I keep having to tell people do not bounce because all you're doing is putting like intense pressure on muscles that have just been overworked. Absolutely. And you know what's a great thing? Um, Instead of bouncing and something that I've really brought into my teaching and my own personal practice is like these slow micro movements. Right. So it's kind of, you move into the stretch and it's like this fine tuning that you're doing, um, moving your hips maybe a little bit, even while you're down in that lunge, you're moving your hips a little side to side, maybe a little bit forward and back, but it's very slow and um, very controlled, maybe like a half inch of movement. It's not a big movement. And that's a nice way to kind of just check in to see where some of the tightness is. Okay. 
Yeah. So is there any advice you have? So I'm walking. Is there mm-hmm. any, like beyond just going for a walk, is there anything we should know that will help with our hips if we're walking? Sure. When you are walking, these are where specialists can come in and of actually course. monitor no. how you're walking. But one of the things that I like to do is check in with my glutes, like my butt muscles. Yep. And I notice that when I'm walking forward and, and my hips tend to be what we call anteriorly tipped, okay. which means the front of my hip bone tends to move forward and my butt kind of goes up in the air. And that's because of the tight hip flexors that I have that has also given me um, a lot of uh, trouble in my low back area. And that's very common um, with tight hip flexors. And so what I've started to do is when I walk, squeeze into my glutes and it actually, there's a a law in body movement that when you flex one muscle, the opposite muscle stretches. Okay. And so when you flex into your glute muscles, your hip flexor by nature has to open. And so when the hip flexors are really tight, when you start to squeeze into your glute muscle, and this could be walking or in the lunge, as I was just mentioning. You're opening your front is what you're doing, right? Exactly. And then you real then, and it's in walking that you really start to notice. Gosh, my hips are actually tighter than I thought. Right. Because as you walk without that sort of awareness, it's almost like your hips are tipping back even more because it, they want to protect themselves. Your body will constantly do these little tricks that it, it thinks that it's helping you, right. right? But over time, it's not. So it might be keeping you out of pain in the short term, but longer term, it actually could be making things a lot worse. Okay. There's another uh, ball and socket joint uh, that is frequently strained, and, mm-hmm. and that is the shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. So what can we do for tight shoulders? It isn't about walking, is it? No. You know, with shoulders, I like to say less is more. Okay. And really simple things like just, you know, sitting in a chair or in your car or wherever you think about it, just rolling your shoulders forward and back a little bit. Okay. Um, if you're sitting in a chair, you can reach back and take um, the back edges of the chair mm-hmm. and just pull your shoulders back. And that will open up the shoulders. Take your arms across the front of your chest, just uh, holding your hand on the outside of your elbow. Right. And we'll stretch the back of your shoulder. Right. Okay. Other than stretching, what else can we do for our shoulders? What helps? Massage can help. Well, massages are just great generally. Absolutely. Um, But strengthening the muscles, I think. And when we are strengthening them, take care. Again, I'm going to go back with shoulders. Less is more because the shoulder joint is not as... um, it's a little looser, I guess, is is one way of looking at it than the hips. The hip muscles are buried in to lots of big muscles with your shoulders, much smaller muscles. So we want to take care. So when we're strengthening things like push-ups in yoga, uh, we do crocodile or chaturanga. Those are really wonderful things. We just want to really make sure that we are paying attention to our good technique. And again, thinking less is more. And when we are keeping the shoulder stable and strong, it will over time get stronger and, and you'll be better off you know, for doing that. There, there are some uh, small muscle exercises for the shoulders, you know, like uh, holding very, very light weights and sort of doing arm circles with your arms extended, mm-hmm. which will, like, cause I, I used to do, uh, I, I was work, I worked my way up to 100 consecutive push-ups. And wow. a, a friend told me that in order not to hurt yourself, and, and in particular overdo it with your shoulders, there were uh, swinging your arms around and doing light arm raises on your side will assist with the small muscles that sort of keep everything together because yes. the, because the joint is so loose. And when you say lightweight, I would say like three pounds. Exactly. M- 
I, I wouldn't even do five pounds. Of course, it depends on what your strength is. I, I've worked up to five pounds. But yeah. but yeah, low, low weights, even like a one or two pound weight can benefit most people when it comes to those exercises. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Will you come back another time? I hope so. Yeah, please. Excellent. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomeradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Joel Thuna, Megan Horsley, Rick Gilman, and Lisa Greenbaum, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss grace and mindfulness, obtaining insurance when you have chronic health issues, and the 10 signs you shouldn't eat in a restaurant. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.